0: Exodus chapter 3. It'll be on the screen behind me. I want to help give us a bit of a framework of what uh, God is doing with us in the season. So Exodus chapter 3 verse 1 to 15 in this moment. Let's read it together. It says this, one day Moses was tending the flock of his father-in-law Jethro, the priest of Midian. He led the flock far into the wilderness and came to Sinai, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the middle of a bush. Moses stared in amazement. Though the bush was engulfed in flames, it didn't burn up. This is amazing, Moses said to himself. Why isn't that bush burning up? I must go and see it. When the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, God called to him from the middle of the bush. Moses, Moses, here I am, Moses replied. Do not come any closer, the Lord warned. Take off your sandals, for you are standing on holy ground. I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. When Moses heard this, he covered his face because he was afraid to look at God. Then the Lord told him, I have certainly seen the oppression of our people in Egypt. I have heard their cries of distress because they are harsh slave drivers. Yes, I am aware of their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the power of the Egyptians. And lead them out of Egypt into their own fertile and spacious land. It is a land flowing with milk and honey. The land where the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites now live. Try saying that five times fast. Look, the cry of the people of Israel has reached me, and I've seen how harshly the Egyptians abuse them. Now go, for I'm sending you to Pharaoh. You must lead my people Israel out of Egypt. But Moses protested to God, Who am I to appear before Pharaoh? Who am I to lead the people of Israel out of Egypt? God answered, I will be with you. And this is your sign that I am the one who has sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God at this very mountain. But Moses protested, If I go to the people of Israel and tell them, The God of your ancestors has sent me to you, they'll ask me, What is his name? Then what should I tell them? God replied to Moses, I am who I am say this to the people of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, Yahweh, the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my eternal name, my name to remember for all generations. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this morning and the gathering of your people the people that you love. I thank you, God, that you've brought us here, none of us by accident, none of us here by just pure habit. This has been the divine orchestration of a loving Father who is wanting His Word to collide with our fertile hearts this morning and bring change forevermore. I thank you, Father God. Open the eyes of our hearts that we would see you do this in your mighty name. Amen. Amen. This morning, I'm going to have to be brief, but uh, I want to help us navigate this journey that Moses had to navigate. And I want to help say that Moses' journey of experiencing God is the same journey that you and I have to go through, possibly minus the burning bush. You just get a burning redhead. But uh, anyway, it's a silly joke. Let's move on. But I want to help us this morning of how God deals with His people and how He's wanting to deal with you and I this morning to take us into the more that He has for us. So three brief things off the bat and then three implications of that after that. Number one is that as we read this text, I foresee that God always meets us in our weakness. God meets us in our weakness. You see the narrative of Moses' life. If you want to know Moses' life in in a succinct way, he spent the first 40 years of his life being the prince of Egypt. The next 40 years of his life in the wilderness, in the desert. And in the last 40 years, he was the, the, the revolutionary leader of a, a band of people called the Israelites who led out of slavery and then on a journey towards the promised land. That was his life. 40 years as a prince, 40 years in the desert, and then 40 years as a revolutionary leader. I don't know about you, but if I had to think where would God have met him, if God had to say strategically, where do I meet this man to get the most out of his life? If I was God, I would have met him when he was the prince of Egypt, when he had, he had power at the, at the click of a finger, when he had, had the ability, he had the king's ear, when he was able to have influence on a society. But God interrupted Moses' world with the revelation of himself, not in a palace where he had political clout, but rather in the backside of a desert that needs to sit with us, that God chooses to reveal himself, not in the palace, but in the desert. This is where God reveals himself to Moses. Moses is in the desert also, not because he's on a sabbatical. He's in the desert because he's on the run in shame and hiding for his life. He's probably got to the place, you think of midlife crisis, Moses is at the very seat of a midlife crisis. Look what I had, look what I've got. I had people, now I've got sheep. I had I a palace now, I've got blisters on my feet, I've got sunburn upon sunburn, and no one cares. But God meets him in that place there, and I, I want to say and remind you, sir, ma'am, that maybe you are sitting here today, and you're sitting in a dead-end job, and you're like... I remember what I had, now look what I've got. Maybe you're sitting here today and you're in the monotony of packing lunches for your kids night after night after night. And you're just going through the motions and you go, I had dreams, I had other expectations. Maybe you, like me, are spending most evenings between 2 and 4 a.m. rocking children to sleep and praying, please may they sleep. And thinking, what is this? This is not ideal conditions for, for forward momentum of life. This is not ideal conditions. I want to remind you that God meets us in places of weakness. And with that said, I want to say, don't despise the wilderness. Don't despise the wilderness. The thing that you think, if I could just get through this, then God can use me. Can I tell you, in that space, God says, that's where I want to meet you. When it feels like nothing good is happening, when you're just going through the motions, when you're having to dig dig deep, I want to tell you the chapter threes of our lives, of Moses' life was in three chapters, chapter one, chapter two, chapter three being the one where he had his most influence, the chapter threes of our lives are most always preceded by wilderness chapters. If you are saying, my life has not reached its most influential peak, I want to tell you God is saying, I want to do something in your wilderness years. You see, God is not a God for the strong, saying, I'll meet you at the top in your strength. He is a God who shows himself again and again, saying, I'm a God who meets you in your weakness. That is the very height of the gospel. The good news, not a Zeus-like character saying, make your way to me. He says, I come to you in your fragile state, in your empty state, in your monotonous state, in your broken state. I meet you there, and I lift you up. So God meets us in our weakness. Secondly, though, as we keep reading, we realize that that's not the full extent of it. God meets us at our faith. Not just the God who meets in our weakness. He meets us in our how we respond in our weakness. You see this amazing thing as Moses there in the, bo- in, the, in, in the desert, and he sees a bush catch a, catch a light. It doesn't often happen, I can imagine, so much so because Moses says these words, he says, I must go see, and what, whatever that, that, whether it was just, a, he was a bit intrigued by the, the sight of a burning bush, whether it was, there was more, something more spiritual behind that, the incredible thing is Moses said, I'm going to go and see, notice the Lord's response as you read the text, it says this, when the Lord saw Moses coming to take a closer look, it was then God called him from the middle of the bush, quite profound. God who could, have, Burning Bush could have gone, let me megaphone, Moses, 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 across the valley. God doesn't do that. God, lights gets his attention, and Moses doesn't just shrug it off. Moses says, okay, I'm going to come and see. Noticing Moses coming to see, God says, now I'm going to speak to him. God responds to hunger. God responds to our faith. God responds to, now, not our great faith. He's not needing our expert faith. He's not needing our, our rejuvenated faith. He just needs a little bit of faith. I'm going to come and take a look. I'm going to see what you're doing. You see, this is an incredible understanding that God rewards those who seek Him. So much so that we see in His Word, in the Gospels, He talks three times. He says, ask, knock, seek. When He teaches us about prayer, He says, you must ask of me. Then He says, you must knock at the door. You must seek me. He says it three different ways. We can explain it to here and there. But I want to tell you what the gist of that whole text is saying. Come to me. Lean towards me. Come towards me. That's the God who rewards us in faith. And, and I, God is not looking for great faith. He's not looking for the plan laid out. He's just saying, will you step towards me? God meets us at our point of faith. Years ago, I've told these stories multiple times, but they still fill my heart with joy that God would do something profound through a people like us. I'll keep telling these stories to remind my fickle heart of a God who works in power. When we, Life Change, we we're just one congregation. We had just one meeting on a Sunday morning. And I remember the sort of conversations as uh, we were going through. uh, There was we never used to have Good Friday services at Life Changes because for some reason we just thought that wasn't like nah, it's too religious. Let's not do that. But then there was some young guys who said, actually, we see a gap. We see an opportunity to preach the gospel on a Good Friday. And none of us, all of us were in our young 20s. None of us had studied at Bible college. None of us had any uh, great skill or great track record. But we actually said, we went to uh, Wally, was the pastor at the time. We said, Wally, we see a, a Friday. No one's doing anything on Good Friday. Would you mind if we got together and we put on a Good Friday service? And Wally said to, to his credit, said, yeah, go for it. He said, but I won't be there. Good luck. We didn't advertise it. We didn't announce it at church. We didn't do any of those things, but a, few, a motley crew of us put together, and we, some, someone could, you can play the guitar, so he got to play the guitar, and, and you, can, you can preach, so you can preach, you can do it. We put a whole service together. We didn't have huge faith. We thought, who's going to come? We thought maybe like 20 of our friends will come, and they'll be fun. We'll call it quits. So much so, we didn't use the big main hall. We used a side hall that could fit about 100 people at a push, and I remember that hot, hot April day. Because we put out a one social media post on our own on our own Facebook page saying, "Hey, we're Good Friday service," and I think about 120 people pitched up to that service. That room was overflowing. We were terrified because we were like, we didn't expect this. Um, it was no, it wasn't. It was not this beautifully put together service. It was raw. It was rough. God moved in a powerful way. Maybe it was because of the excessive heat. I don't know. Um, People are like if we respond, we get out of here quicker. I don't know, but, but all jokes aside, God moved in a powerful way. But I want to tell you what was even more powerful that none of, us, none of us thought about, none of us had a strategy about, but we just had a, we're going to come and have a look and see. We're going to lean forward. This last year, we had across our Good Friday and Easter Sunday services, the tally, conservatively, we had about 1,200 people across our services at all our campuses. I want to tell you. That on the first Good Friday service done by a motley crew of young people who had no expectations, no strategy of once we do this, then we're going to do this, do this. But actually God says, I'm just looking for people to come and take a look and then I'll do the rest. That's the God we serve. He meets us at our point of faith. Thirdly in the stories I keep reading, doesn't just meet us in our weakness, doesn't just meet us at our faith. He meets us with a mission. You see, here's the best news I've got for you this morning. This might be, maybe this is the only thing you hear this morning. This whole thing called life is not about you how wonderful to hear that this morning. I think it should be the most freeing thing because I think the world, we we labor on this incredible weight that we've got to make it happen. We've got to get our social Instagram feeds to just be this, they have got to be incredible. Our lives have to match what everyone else is doing. We have to be at every event. We have to have every friendship. We have to get every job. We have to visit every country. We have to do it. And when we're not doing it, we're in depression. I want to tell you, here's the great thing. Take a deep breath. It's not about you. The world doesn't revolve around you. The Father loves you. He's besotted with you. But it's not all about you. And it should be the most freeing thing to remind ourselves every now and again. Because I love the story as, as Moses comes and God meets Moses. He says to Moses, God says, I have seen, I have heard, and I have come down. God says, I've seen the Israelite's peril. I haven't, even though it's been years and people have cried out to me, I have not been oblivious. I've seen my people's pain. I've seen their hardship. I've seen it. I've heard it. I've come down, and I'm saying enough. And God says, I'm coming to take my people into freedom, God's cry always is to take His people into freedom. But here's the kicker: this amazing story, as Moses hears this, and I can imagine Moses all the way through. He's an he's an Egyptian at birth. He's seen the 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 the, the destruction of his people, and as God is saying, Moses, I have seen a burning bush is telling him that I am coming to rescue the people. I can ima- imagine Moses gets all charismatic. He's like as if he's in a Pentecostal church, and God's preaching. He's hearing God saying, "I have seen the people's." Uh, pain, and Moses is like, yes, you have, God, he's like, amen, and he says, I've heard, and Moses is like, amen, yes, God, he says, and I've come down to rescue the people, and Moses is like, yes, God, do it, and then God goes, and I'm going to use you, Moses, and Moses is like, no, 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 not me, you got the wrong guy, it's, I can imagine that conversation going, yes, 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 not me, you see, this incredible thing, the whole thing changes gears. As Moses says, God says, I'm going to send you to lead them out. This is my heart for the people. I'm going to use you. It's amazing. The conversation. If we just keep reading, we're just reading through a text together. The story goes, and Moses, the whole conversation changes. When he says, Moses starts to speak, he says, who am I to be- appear before Pharaoh? You see, he's very aware of his disqualifications in these moments. In church, can I tell you we say it again and again, there's always two preachers. Right now, I'm preaching what the voice of the Father would be saying to you and I, but I'm very aware there's the voice of the enemy that's also present here. Trying to disqualify my words, disqualify faith that's starting to rise in your heart and go, yeah, but you don't know my circumstance. You, uh, uh, I, I bet you just say this all the time, Gabe. And there's a voice that will start to try and pull you away to settle back. And again, the voice will be actually saying, look at yourself. Who am I? Moses says. When God himself is speaking to Moses, Moses' eyes go back to himself. And he says, who am I? He's very aware of his disqualifications. And Moses had a long list of disqualifications, just like you and I. Maybe you're here today and you're saying, I'm uneducated. I don't have the resources. I don't have the gifts. I don't have the track record. I don't have the energy. I don't have the emotional capacity. He says, God, who am I to do this? And I I don't know what you would imagine God would do, but I love reading this narrative because God doesn't come and put his arm around Mo and say, listen, Mo, let me give you a pep talk, my buddy. Let me tell you who you are, Moses. You're the head and not the tail. You're above and not beneath. I knew you before. As I read the scripture, God does not give him a pep talk. There's no gladiator type speech like, Moses, you shall do it. You shall not pass. No, it's not this like dramatic story. God doesn't go Oprah on him. He doesn't go William Wallace on him. He doesn't try and pep him up and say, you can do it. God almost like nods in agreement. Yeah, you're not great. (laughs) But this is the powerful thing that God says. It's a one-liner. He says, who am I, God, to do this? Who am I to go? And God responds this. It's weird. God doesn't even answer this question. Who am I? And God says, I will be with you doesn't even answer his question. God says to him, I will be with you. This is the strength of what the story is. I want to remind us again of the start of a new year. It's not what's inside you. It is who is with you. Your year ahead of you, the success in India, the success on your journey of getting married this year, your story of of reconciliation, your story of trying to make breakthrough in business, your story of getting over your insecurities and your addictions and your habits, the story of trying to make life happen. Can I tell you, sir, ma'am, your strength is not in you. It's who's with you. And we have a God who is always present, a God who doesn't disengage when it's tough. His presence is what distinguishes us as a people. You see, we have, a, we, we have a weak theology, I believe, of the presence of God being with us. We all go, yeah, God's with us. But I want to tell you, God being with us is not just in holy moments. We've got a tendency to think, yeah, God is with us when we're in church. God is with us when I'm reading my Bible. God is with me when I'm at a prayer meeting. God is with me when I've got Hillsong music in the car. Yes, He is. But can I tell you, the presence of God says, I will never leave you. God is with us. And we need to get a robust understanding of this moment. Because the question I want to say to you today, maybe you're here and you're saying, who am I to start that business? Who am I to start leading my family? Who am I to reach out to my boss? Who am I to engage with my grumpy neighbor? Who am I to step out in faith? God's answer today is not you're great. His answer is I am with you. I am with you. I, I think that was the, most short, the shortest sermon you and I should ever be able to need. God, what do I do about this thing? I am with you. It should pour courage into our hearts. And the amazing thing is the conversation turns, if you realize, you keep reading, Moses says, that trick's not working. He says, who am I? God says, I'm with you. He goes, okay, who are you? He said, then who are you? And it's this powerful thing. And for time's sake, in a, in a culture, when there's a question, who are you? It's, it's a better rendition of that. It's basically saying, what is your name? Or even better still, saying, what are you like? Why? Why would Moses ask this question? Because actually, he was speaking in that moment, there was a, it was a pluralistic society, a society that were comfortable with multiple gods. Egypt had multiple gods. Moses was quite aware of the rhetoric, yes, of Israel's the one true God, but, but he was, they were comfortable, they had God of agriculture, God of the, the sun, the God of, of this, God of that, God of this. So he was comfortable with gods. So he's saying, which one are you? Which God are you? What, which, uh, what, what are you going to bless me with in this moment? What is your, your, your strength? What do you like, you see? And in this moment, God doesn't, it's an incredible thing how God answers him. God doesn't answer in any strategic way, but he answers us in the most powerful thing that is so theologically deep, we don't have time to dig to the depths of it, but I pray they will just scratch the surface. God says this, he says, Moses, he says, who are you? And God says, I am who I am. Another way to put it, another translation says, I will be who I will be. Or even better still, God is who God is. It's the most basic and ultimate phrase in the scriptures about God. This incredible, powerful statement. And you see, the stage, phrase goes on as he says, "I am who I am." Then he tells us, God actually says, "He says I have a name," and God answers, "says You're going to call me. My name is Yahweh." It'll be on the screen behind me, Yahweh. Now, if you are unfamiliar with the Bible, if you go read in the Bible, you'll see in your Bible, the, the word Yahweh is not often used. But what's, what's, when scholars have taken take that word Yahweh, that word Yahweh is actually, when talking about God, is used multiple times, so many times, used for over 4,500 times in the Old Testament. And the, but what scholars have done with our word, they put the word L-O-R-D, Lord, but in all caps. So if you go reading your Bible and you see in all capital letters the word Lord, it's the word Yahweh being used. All right, that's the word that's said there. And it's this incredible thing. It's, and, and it's not just, we use the, because the English translation is not great. Because our, when we hear Lord, we think of master or, yeah, or a lord of the manor or type of thing like that. But it's, it's, this, it's got deep weight. It's so holy that when Jews use it, they drop the vowels of it. So there you've got the Y-H-W-H. They use that word there. And it's so powerful because they, they actually wouldn't say that name aloud. They won't say that name aloud. They won't write out they drop the vow, so you can't say it out loud. Because they believe it's so holy and so powerful. But when God is using it, for time's sake, I want to give you three very powerful implications of why God used this name to describe himself to Moses. Number one, when he says, my name is Yahweh, I am who I am. He is saying in that moment, I am marked by sufficiency. In another sense, God is saying in that moment, I have been and I'll always be. In that moment, God is saying, I never had a beginning and I'll never have an end. Which puts, you know, that terrible question kids ask you, who made God? And everyone's like, what the heck, I don't know what to do with that question. God says, I I was never made, I was uncreated, and I will never have an end. I am who I am. He frames all of eternity. God was, God is, and God will be Yahweh. This is who God is. God doesn't give Moses a small vision of himself. He explodes Moses' understanding of who he is. In this moment, he says, Moses, I'm not leading you to enough. I am enough. I want to say this again. God is saying, I'm not a means to an end. I am the end. Now, this has to come and crash into our westernized version of God where we use God to get to what we want. We come, God, I want this thing. And God is a God who provides. Yes, God is a God who makes a way. But God is saying that He ultimately is the provision, He is the ultimate end of the story. He depends on nothing, He is marked by sufficiency. That if everything else is stripped away from you, sir, ma'am, the question is, God says, I will be enough. I will sustain you. I am who I am. Moses gets there in the moment of deepest vulnerability saying, God, the mission that's ahead of me, that you're trying to send me on, I, I, I don't have enough. And God says, I am sufficient. I am who I am. Secondly, this name is not just marked by sufficiency, it's marked by consistency. When God says, I am who I am, I am Yahweh, he's basically saying, I never change. Nothing in all creation takes him off God. Nothing backs him into a corner where he might have to act out of character or compromise his integrity. If you're looking for scriptures to, to, to remind you of this, James 1 verse 17, Hebrews 13 verse 8, it's all Isaiah 40, It just keeps on reminding us that he does not change like the, like the, the shifting shadows. He is, He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He does not grow weary or faint or tired. But actually, this is who our God is. He never changes. He's not one day up and one day down. He's not happy when it's the, the, the oh, super rugby's here. Yay. He's not happy when it's Christmas, then down at New Year. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That when you come to him, you're met by not a God of emotions who's up and down, up and up, but a God who's consistent. He says, I am who I am. So huge because in Exodus chapter 34, at the back end of Moses' journey, when he comes back and to worship at that mountain, and encounters God again after leading God's people out of Egypt, he says to God, show me your glory, God. And what does God say? Show him. God says, I'm going to let my glory, my character pass before you. And God says, this is who I am. Again, he reminds him of his name. He says, I am Yahweh, Yahweh, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, forgiving iniquity, rebellion, and sin. You see, this is amazing. When God says that I am gracious, He means I am always gracious. This is so huge about God because his graciousness is not bound by some law of cause and effect. No, no, God is gracious. This is who He is. Maybe you, sir, ma'am, your life has been like this. I want to tell you, today you come to a God who is the same. The day you first met Him, the day, tomorrow He'll be the same. At the end, He'll be the same. He is still gracious. He's still relentless in His pursuit for you and I. Rome rose and fell. Isis rose and fell. Boko Haram rose and fell. But I am who I am. He never changes. He's marked by sufficiency, he's marked by consistency, finally he's marked by intimacy. I love the fact that when he says, I am who I am, my name is Yahweh, God does something that is so unique in the pantheon of gods that we're lining up in front of Moses and the Egyptian people and the Israelite people, God does something that distinguishes himself above every other god that was on offer. God gave himself a personal name. This is huge. If you think about it, you know, it's like the name like James or like Gabe or Bongani, God gave himself a name. You see, up to that moment, the name that God revealed himself to his people was El Shaddai. This is a little bit of Hebrew here, or Elohim, which just means the Lord Almighty. God had introduced himself to Abraham as the Lord Almighty. But in this moment, the transition piece in the scriptures says, actually, I'm not just the Lord Almighty. I'm not just a God out there. I'm not just the God. I am Yahweh, your God. This is so huge in this moment. You see, he, he could have given in that moment, who, tell me, who is sending me? I'm going to the people, they're going to say, which God is sending you? Which one? Ra? When I say, God is sending me, does it Ra, the sun God, or, or this different God, or which God is sending me? Tell me your name. God doesn't give him his title. Doesn't say, I am this or this. Doesn't say, I'm pastor or doctor. He says, I'm going to give you my personal name. Now, this is huge for you and me, because actually, this, this, this word here, Yahweh, it's a personal, intimate invitation, so much so that actually, the way you pronounce the words, the Y-H-W-H there. The Hebrew words are yod, hey, va hey. That's how God would have said that name. He would have said Yahweh. He would have said yod, hey, va hey. Now try and say that without even breathing. It's just the most breathy things: yod, hey, va hey. So when God, Moses, there encounters a burning bush, he meets a God who's He says, "What's your name, God?" Who breathes upon him? Yod, hey, va hey. And scholars say that moment there mimics a Genesis 2 moment where it says when Adam was created, the first male was made, the human was made. It says he was made, and God's introduction to man was, it says, he breathed on him, breathed his life into him. It's so powerful, so incredible when you see the way God deals with his people, with Adam, it's the breath of God. In Exodus 3, a burning bush before the most incredible season of Moses' life, leading a people out of broken 400 years of oppression, God breathes on him. His name, yod vah this intimate, intimate place. It's like, I don't know about you, it's like when you first discover a teacher's name, like you see Mr. Pringle at school, hello sir, hello sir, and then he says, you become friends with him, and he says, come to my house, and he's there with feet up the car, he says, now call me Aidan, it's a little bit disconcerting. Okay, I'll do that. But it's, this, it's, this un, it's a disarming moment, and a lot of us don't understand that this is the God that we have who calls us into intimacy. It's an invitation to engage with them. As I land, I want to tell you what is so powerful. Why, why is this powerful for us this morning? Well, we go to the final script, second script, last script this morning, John 8, verse 58. Thousands of years later, a man named Jesus comes on the scene. And Jesus has been doing some miracles up to now. Jesus has been doing some great teachings. And people are like him a little bit, ah, what's he up to? But the relig- religious elites aren't furious yet with them. But after this scripture that we read now, the religious elites freak out. Why? Because Jesus stands up and Jesus talks about himself and he says this, before Abraham was even born, I am. So when Jesus says this, if we understand Exodus chapter 3, you understand when Jesus stands up in this moment, Jesus is saying, I am Yahweh. The God that your ancestors followed, the God that led you out of Egypt, that God, I'm not just now a new type, I am who I am. That's At that moment, if you read the, new, the Gospels, it's at that moment that the religious elites start to freak out, going, blasphemy! How dare you call yourself God? But this is who Jesus is doing. Jesus says, I am the God. I am Yahweh. And this is so huge because I want to tell you when He dies on a cross, sir, ma'am, for you and I, right now, because Jesus is God, because Jesus is Yahweh, not just a, a cheap version or a cheap substitute or something that we can get our mind around. No, no. When He dies on the cross, God died. God died on our behalf, so much so that when His blood was shed, I want to tell you, Jesus' blood for you and I is sufficient. His blood for us is consistent and is intimate because it's Yahweh's blood. So when you say, I am not enough, I don't have enough, my mess is too big, He says, my blood, is our, it is what it shall be. I am who I am. My blood is sufficient for you always. When you say, but I'm inconsistent, I, I repent 10 times and I've gone back on my promises from January 1, 13 times already. The addiction and the habit I thought I was going to kick out, my promises to God, I've gone back on it. This, I've made the same mess up in my marriage. I've made the same mess up in my finances. Can I tell you the good news, sir, ma'am, his blood is consistent. It's the same. Can forgive the deepest of sin again and again and again. He is that faithful. And beautifully, his blood is intimate. His blood Calls us, not just washes us and says, On you go. His blood calls us into a deeper relationship. As I land, the last scripture, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 9 to 10, is preached the whole Bible in one sermon. This is the Apostle Paul preaching, and the Apostle Paul giving a, a defense of his ministry. Paul stands up and he says, For I am the least of the apostles. Paul, in a moment, saying, I'm weak. I'm weak. I'm nothing fancy. He says, I do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But in verse 10, he says this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. Now, let me tell you, that phrase, I am what I am, huge scholarly debate about it. But that, that, that phrase, I am what I am, Paul was a Jew of Jews. We learn about him. He was a Hebrew of Hebrews. He was a man who was well-versed in the Jewish scriptures. He's a man who's not going to use words flippantly. He knows what's going what's to take the hold of the people. Is Paul in this moment saying, by the grace of God, I am what I am. It'll It is, whatever it will be, will be. I sometimes mess up. No, no, no. He's not saying that. In that moment, he is saying something deeper. He is saying, I am what I am. By the grace of God, I am what I am. So, sir, ma'am, I tell you today, you say you're not enough? I am. Today, you say you fall short? I am. You say you've been backed into the corner? And you've got no other choice. I am. I am what I am. I am what I am. This is the implications as we land. I want to tell you today that as we understand this moment, Exodus 3 is not Moses' story. It's not Egypt's story, Israel's story. This is our story. Our story, our invitation, that we get to pick up an invitation to intimacy with Him. We get access to His more than enough, and we get access to His consistency. So, ma'am, this is who we are. We are spiritual people. This is not for some intellectual people. This is not for some people who serve served God for many years. Now let's get into the Hebrew. No, no, no. This is God's self-disclosure, his revelation of who he is. He reveals it so we can have access to it. Can we stand to our feet, please? If you can close your eyes, I really have been praying long and hard, mostly at between two and four in the morning, but I've been praying that God would do firstly, I prayed that God would do something profound with my two to four in the morning slots, where I'd been shrugging them off and saying, if only I got more sleep, then I could have better quiet times with God. Then I realized God said, no, I want to meet you in that space and I want to use it, that actually I believe that chapter 3s are always preceded by wilderness seasons, are always preceded by desert times. Today's a moment for you and I to say, God, we say, would you meet us in our weakness? Maybe you've been holding on to that habit, you've been holding on to that fear, you've been holding on to that season, you've been wishing it away, but actually today's the day you say, God, I want to know you. Would you come and meet me in that season, in that job, in that relationship, in that space, in that pain? In that diagnosis, will you meet me in it? And as we do surrender that weakness to Him, say, God, I'm, coming, I'm approaching it with faith. And as we do that, I believe God says, I'll turn that into a mission. I'll turn your story into something that is so outstrips your dreams, your hopes, your strategies, your plans, your, your New Year's resolutions for your life. I'll change it and I'll make it so much more. Not because your plans are great, but because I am who I am. I'm sufficient, consistent, intimate. So if you're comfortable, could you raise your hands with me? Father, I pray for us as a people, a spiritual people, a people who have been called by your name, a people who you have shed your blood for, not to call us to fill church services, not call us just to be part of, yeah, let's do church community, but God, you've called us to change the world but not for our name, not for our sake, but for your name, for your sake. So if it's for your name, we have to know that name, and your name is above every other name. Your name is sufficient. It's enough for us. Your name is enough. No matter what we've lost, God, we say we hold on to you. No matter what we can gain, we say your name is outstrips it all. Your name is sufficient. Your name is consistent, God. When we are not, when we fail, we hold on to you, And ultimately, your name is intimate. Your name is calling us to walk with you. So, Father, I pray today for eyes to be opened. That we leave here not looking at weaknesses, but looking at a God who says, I will be with you. I thank you, Father God, would your blood right now pour and lavishly be applied to every aspect of our life. Would we receive your blood in areas of insecurity, in areas of failure, in areas of fear, In areas of weakness, would we receive your blood afresh, God, and say, Jesus, your blood is enough. Your blood speaks a better word. When the voice of the enemy roars over our lives, I thank you, your blood right now speaks sufficiency, consistency, intimacy. I've fallen short. I've messed up. I've run too far. My guilt and shame is too deep. Thank you today. The conversation is not, who am I? The conversation is, who are you? God, you say, I am who I am. I thank you for this word. Apply it deep to our hearts in the deepest place, Holy Spirit, and bring change. In Jesus' name, amen.